This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a partnership between Shondaland Audio and iHeartRadio. I am Nicola Coughlin. I play Penelope Featherington. I also have tried on some costumes and I'm getting two new wigs. They're epic. I tried on one the other day and I was like, don't take it off. Because when you take it, when you take the wig off, you look like a sad snake. Because <laughs> your hair is all glued down and, you know, I'm just so bloody pale. I look like the moon. So like I was a like, sad take- snake. Yeah, I just like, it's just like a big Voldemort head. I look just awful. (laughs) Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast, where we're going to take you behind the scenes of Bridgerton. I'm Gabrielle Collins. I'm Hannah Gregg. And in this episode, we're continuing to put a spotlight on the inspiration for the Bridgerton series. One of the really exciting things about the Bridgerton series is that the destiny of the characters isn't quite written yet. Literally, season two is underway as we're talking right now. And the story arcs of these characters and of the book series have taken a whole new life with Shondaland. So we're going to get a little closer to some of the show's characters, and we're going to do that through the lens of costume design, which is why I am so pleased to have Hannah here. She's the perfect guide because she literally wrote the book, so to say, on fashionable society. Would you say, Hannah, like a lot of <laughs> a lot of your research has centered around this? Uh, yeah, the book is called The Beaumont's Fashionable Society <laughs> in Georgian London. So I suppose you could say that. Yeah, <laughs> literally. So I think that I'm coming at this as someone who has been wearing yoga pants for the last year and a half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's just a little harder for me to appreciate the importance of fashion. (laughs) What is fashion? What is fashion? (laughs) What is a fashion? Um, Can you help us wrap our minds around what fashionable society is as we look at character development? 
you know, fashion's a word that we use a lot today, but I think if we sat down and tried to actually say exactly what it is, we'd start to get in a little bit of a knot about, is it just what you wear or is it the kind of label that you wear? Is it how you wear it? Is it who you are? You know, that defines fashion today. And Regency commentators had the same problem with what fashion meant to fashionable society in London because it was about this kind of very vivid display. You had to be well-dressed and dress was really a central element of it, but it also involved something else. You couldn't just be well-dressed. You couldn't just dress your way into this society. The rules of membership were always slightly shadowy and ill-defined, which was brilliant in terms of a strategy of maintaining an exclusive set of the tongue. So the ton is a word that is used to capture a world of high society London, which at the time was known as fashionable society. We also use the words the beau monde, the world of quality, ladies, of fashion. I think for an audience, the ton is not a term we've encountered before, but now everyone knows who they are and they are the super fashionable Uh, leaders of society. They are the celebrities of the day. They live their life in the fast lane. They are Bridgerton, basically. (laughs) It's the world that we see. And Hannah, I was wondering if that's like, if the US Senate were also trendsetters in fashion. So if the US lawmakers were also telling us where to shop. Yes. This fashionable society that is both politically powerful, incredibly wealthy, and also the glamorous celebrities of the day. We, we don't have anything really quite the same anymore, but that is basically what you need to imagine is the Senate and Hollywood get mashed together. Mm. So, you know, a, a huge amount is invested into people's clothing during the course of the London season because it's going to be scrutinised. Um, you're on this stage all the time, whether it's in the ballroom or you're going to court or even if you're walking in Hyde Park, you know, the things that you're wearing and, and who you are of critical importance. So we might think of this world of the Bonton as a bit like a red carpet. And there's also constantly an audience and constantly a press reporting on your clothing. And so... Yeah, Bridgerton for me really kind of captures some of that spirit. And we don't often see that level of excess and extravagance and investment in fashion and investment in clothing on screen, you know, Regency times. But we do in Bridgerton. And I think that's one of its most powerful aspects. It's right that the costume should be centre stage too. Hannah's right. The costumes, hair and makeup are central. In this episode, we're talking about the characters and their journeys through the lens of the entire look And to kick off that conversation, we're turning to two film and stage vets responsible for channeling the Bridgerton script into dresses and three-piece suits. I'm Ellen Morajnik, the costume designer for Bridgerton. I'm John Glazer. I'm the co-costume designer for Bridgerton under Ellen Morajnik. No, John, you have to say alongside of. Alongside, okay. (laughs) Sounds terrible. (laughs) John is behind the costume design on television shows like Brotherhood and Gotham. He's also known for his work on Broadway. And Ellen is known for classics like Fatal Attraction in 1986, and more recently, The Greatest Showman from 2017. Ellen and John have worked on several Shondaland projects. John and I worked on How to Get Away with Murder together for Shondaland, and that was quite fun. (laughs) We've had a really great working relationship and we're kind of uh, left brain, right brain and vice versa. And I don't think that (laughs) there was anybody that I could have managed to take the challenge of creating Bridgerton with other than John. He was a great influence 
and a great, great, great talent to be able to create this world. And here we are. After the break, we'll spend more time with Ellen and John as we unwrap the characters of Bridgerton. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Hi everyone, welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Hannah Gregg, I'm the Bridgerton historian. Hannah can take us through the ways the ton set the trend and we're like, um, Keeping up with the Joneses, so to say. Keeping up with Queen Charlotte, I think, in Bridgerton. (laughs) Yes, which that's really interesting that you brought that up because I've been reading and doing my little research and I've been seeing that Queen Charlotte was like wearing fashions that may not have been timely, like she was still wearing late 18th century fashion. But my understanding is that Ellen and John were not trying to be historically accurate. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> I think, you know, Bridgerton is a fantasy look at fashions through time. It blends ideas of Regency fashion with modern interpretation that kind of captures the silhouette and the look of the world that's created in the show. Let's hear how Ellen and John squinted their eyes and tilted their heads on history. And, and then being covered in a big vat of glitter over the top. <laughs> and threw some glitter on it to bring us the costume design of Bridgerton. You know, when we go to work for Shondaland, there is a particular aesthetic. And what Shondaland always has as like its top sentence is aspirational. Something that's modern, 
but historical at the same time so that a modern girl today can watch the series, follow a character, and dream that it could be her. So knowing who we were dealing with and knowing what was expected, we were not precious in saying, well, that's not 1813 or that's not 1812. We created a silhouette that was absolutely perfect to the period. But what we did to make it into the Bridgerton world was look at Gucci and Prada and Chanel and Versace and young designers. Every image that you could ever imagine was looked at and curated so that we could extract elements that we can layer onto what our basic silhouette needed to be to make it new and appealing. Yeah. Both for men and women, for example, not every man could wear white trousers. Except for Anthony. Except for Anthony. Yeah. In the whole entire series of our principal men. And like the men's pants aren't really period. They appear to be period, but they're not constructed the same way. That's why they look good. And they, we like to make men look really fashionable and handsome as can be. I would say one of the first and the original inspirations for this entire world and this entire series, her name is Genevieve Figgis. Figgis. She's a young Irish woman and she had the exact point of reference that we were looking for. She does these paintings that are all period inspired. I mean, they are just gorgeous. She's a bit, I would say, figurative and a bit abstract and it's sublime. It's the show. It really is the root, the visual root of what our work became. I think that you first have to say that we really did build a costume house. And the costume house was enormous. Oh, yeah. And so in costume houses, when you have men's and women and children, etc., you have evening wear, day wear, fabrics to pick from to make more costumes, that's what was necessary to be built to accomplish the Bridgerton series. And you need to visualize, when Ellen says fabric, a tractor trailer going from London to Budapest. Tons and tons. Huge shipments. And tons of fabric. And when you first start, you think, oh my God, this is so much fabric. This is too much. But just two months later, it wasn't enough. We were out. We were out. Now, please do understand there's only so much fabric in the world. The young ladies shall have new dresses after all. (laughs) My first days with Bridgerton, I went to the costume warehouse, the big building they kept all the costumes in. And I was just surrounded by all of these rows and racks and racks of all of the costumes that were being created. And it was just incredible to see all of these colours lined up side by side. And I just got this kind of shiver of excitement because you could just see Mm. the Technicolor world that was going to come together. And it was all new. (laughs) And it was just, I'd never seen anything like it because normally when I see costume from the Regency times, it's in a museum museum store and Mm -hmm. it might be beautiful but it definitely looks like it's been around for 200 years (laughs) Um, whereas Bridgerton's costumes are 
absolutely sparkly new. Everything was completely pristine. And that is how I would have imagined the fashionable world to be, this world of the ton in Regency London. So as soon as I walked amongst those racks and the Bridgerton world, it just felt like this was a world that was coming to life in, in a way that I'd never seen before. So it was really exciting. Bridgerton is a totally bespoke kind of production. All of the costumes, headpieces, fascinators, accessories, dresses, three-piece suits, a lot of it was made by hand. There's not an artist that came through our doors that didn't think that this show was going to be a version of a Jane Austen novel. Am I right, John? You are correct. I think you feel it when you watch and you can feel the energy the costume design, hair, and makeup teams also gave us a kaleidoscope of personality by dressing each member of the show's brilliant ensemble from wig to heel. There are a lot of shows whereby the background, it's just considered the background. And our show, the background is considered pretty much as much as the foreground. And everyone had at least two of something. As an end result, there were 7,500 pieces of costume made. 7,500 pieces that were made in soft goods. That's a very large amount, okay? John basically created a background world that was spectacular. And it was pushing all of the costumers to a point that they hadn't been pushed before because this world also hadn't been created before. One of the main ways Ellen and John pushed the costumes, as they said, was to play around with the color palette. Our first jumping off point of what we felt the Bridgerton world was going to feel like and look like was absolutely not 100% Regency at all. It was more modern. It was bolder. It was a Tiffany gift box. With some citrus fruit inside. Yeah, we yeah. can't forget that. The Featheringtons had the fruit inside, yeah. Featheringtons had the fruit inside. Here's production designer Will Hughes-Jones. Whenever we made decisions on what we were going to do, it was always, always in collaboration with Ellen, the costume designer, on the most simple level, making sure that the doors are wide enough and big enough to get the Queen's wig through. What we did a lot of is looked at the livery of the Bridgerton servants and the Featherington servants and used their livery colours as the complementary colours within our walls. Because if you look at a Featherington servant, you'll see that colours in their costume relate to the colours in the set. So they almost disappear into the walls in some places, which is what servants were meant to do in that period. We kept the colour palette very rigid for the characters so that Whenever the audience was in a blue space or a cream space, they knew they were in Bridgerton world. Whenever they were in yellows and greens, you knew you were in the Featherington world. Oh, astonishing, Madame de la Croix. Well, because you were able to pay in advance this time, and since I happened to have some fabrics no one else seemed to want, there were two others just like it, Lady Featherington. Mine will have to be taken in, of course. <laughs> Mine's perfect. And mine is yellow. When Nicola came into our fitting room for the first time, we photographed her with different colored yellows, yellow, green, orange, to see which citrus color she could wear really comfortably and wear well. 
not in a funny way and not in a tacky way, but really as a serious character. And what you see is what we found. Let's circle back around and get into character development. So as Hannah was saying, fashion was a representation of status and a way to exhibit power. In Bridgerton, costume was the megaphone of this adage. For instance, the wealth circulating in this society is obviously over the top. But Ellen and John wanted to tell us a little bit more about what's going on behind closed doors. The description of the Featheringtons was always very clear and that they were new money and they wanted to fit in and that they were not brought up in the social circle of the Bridgetons, nor anyone close to them. And they were like the new kids on the block. Unrefined, yeah. And unrefined. Yeah. And so what you see is what Portia Featherington believes to be the fashion of the day and gives her girls some tools that she thinks are really going to help them get noticed get noticed and be married yeah and they are the opposite of what the bridgerton world looks like i do apologize lady fezzarrington but first there is a matter of your account i was clear to your maids at your line of credit let me stop you there our bills will be settled in full as soon as you've made miss thompson soon to be bridgerton her gown and the other items for her trousseau i'm afraid that is not possible Perhaps you might find another tailoress more to your liking across town. You asked an interesting question about the modiste and her dark dress. Earlier, I asked John why the modiste, or Madame Delacroix, played by Catherine Drisdale, always wears dark dresses. Featheringtons were over the top and the Bridgetons had beautiful clothes. And why wasn't she wearing beautiful clothes? And this goes back to character. Ellen explained to her that she was like Coco Chanel, so she was going to be in a dark dress. You actually meet the actor, then you can put it all together. But if we had made dresses for the modiste without seeing her or talking to her, it may have been a different thing and may not have worked. Once she understood the period, she understood Coco Chanel and dark. She understood pearls. And then once she put that into present day, then she accepted that. And that helped her look and helped her character. Unless... There's something in a character description or a character has to do something within a scene or whatever. The costume can't wear them. We don't want the costume to come before the character. You know, there are things that we did to break convention. For example, Simon's character, when we first met Reggie, what we found immediately, and I do say this, it was immediate, that he could wear the period. It actually suited him so perfectly that it was a pretty quick fitting the first time we met him, wasn't it, John? Correct. And what we learned with the men was what they could and couldn't wear. And so with reggae, what we learned from dialogue with the actor of who Simon would become and where does he come from and what is his story before we got into his story was that he left London. He traveled around the world at that time. And when coming back into London, he came with different trinkets from afar. He was independent. He did not grow up in his adulthood with the ton, with other people looking over his shoulders. He was not interested in 
becoming the marriage material as the other men set out to become in the social season. And so with that, we knew that we didn't want to kind of tie him up all through his neck and wear a stock and be formal. So what we did was open his shirt collar. When opening his shirt collar, we said, well, let's just try a scarf inside. Now, it could have looked too pretentious or it was going to be correct. And immediately we knew it was correct because he could wear it. He could wear it perfectly. And so putting his pieces together were somewhat simple because it was very clear from the get-go that his coat needed to be a certain shape. His waistcoat needed to be a certain waistcoat. His shirt could be black and it could be great and his neck be exposed. And that was certainly not of convention at that time. No, not at all. So we took that liberty. But you don't know it when you look at him. You think he is of that time. But a bit, you feel an independence from him. He doesn't look necessarily different. He just has a different spirit. So his difference comes from the character he portrays. Yeah. Daphne, though, absolutely beautifully sets the tone for what we're about to see throughout the series and understand Daphne's introduction. Daphne was the jewel in the crown, or shall we say, I always thought of her as a porcelain doll. Daphne actually is the only one in the series that has practically no adornment at all. It's just color and shape. That's it. Her accessories are tiny. There is nothing that is overdone, overblown. She is just a breath of beauty. And that was what needed to be. Now, of course, her ball gowns are exquisite and they are beaded and stoned and there's different design to it, but it's only in the fabrication. It's simplistic elegance. It's pretty difficult to achieve, to be honest with you, because you want all of her movement to be just perfect because she is pristine. She has a purpose. And as our story, of course, unfolds, it shifts only as a good Shondaland story could. And as she matures, if you will, she is not such a porcelain doll any longer. She becomes a bit more of a mature woman. And we did that simply by color. Her clothes became more real like she became more real to me. Uh huh. And the fabrics conform to the body a little more as she gets older, too. And that was her evolution and point. Right. She becomes a fuller, richer woman as time goes on. You can feel her flesh more than it all being simple, icy, and pristine. With the richness and the duskiness of color that kind of penetrates her flesh color a bit, You could feel her more. You could feel her pain. You could feel her want. You could feel her confusion. That's Daphne's evolution. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Here's Bridgerton creator and showrunner Chris Van Dusen on how he and actress Adjoa Ando used hair, costume, and makeup to tell us more about Lady Danbury. One memory specific to Adjoa was really early on in the process, and Adjoa had just gone for her first costume fitting, and she was just doing her first consultation with our hair and makeup department about the character of Lady Danbury. And the one thing Adjoa wanted was she wanted her hair always pulled back because she wanted full vision of everything. I thought this was so genius on Adjua's part that Lady Danbury is a character that sees everything and, you know, she comments on all. So to have an unobstructed view of everything happening, to have a, a completely clear view of all the proceedings reflected in her hair and her makeup, I thought was just a genius idea and, and I loved it from the beginning. I presume your plans to separate from her grace have not yet changed? They have not. Neither it appears your ability to somehow hear every piece of gossip that transpires in this town. When will you accept it? I know. I wanted her to have that gaze that is, as we were saying, it's all about strategy. I didn't want any, I don't, I just, I don't feel she's a, she's not fussy. She just can't be doing the fuss. You know, she's old enough, she's rich enough, she's free enough. I don't need fuss anymore. I want a hat, I'll have a fag, I'll have a cane. Let's go. Yeah. Early on, it, it was Adjo and I talking and discussing the character and, and what I had seen for her. And, you know, I, it's such a collaborative process and, and, you know, coming up with characters' backstories. And I really wanted Adjo's thoughts on what she thought about her character and how she thought she would dress and how she thought she would look. The freedom to not... F- fiddle mm-hmm. she's not fiddly so i wanted lots of clean lines for her that's why i wanted the hats because i wanted her she's a widow yeah. i wanted her to embody the masculine as well and there's something about a hat that's kind of it's slightly yeah i know where the bohemian land is mm. i know those painters mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. So this, you know, come on, I'm having a party. No, it's just for the girls. So there's all that going on as well. It's just, it's about women being in their power. I think, and I think a lot of the time, it's not just women, but I think a lot of people hide their power a lot. Absolutely. They hide their power. You know, Nelson Mandela had that thing about saying, don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. And I think a lot of us, and it may be part of the strategy, there's always a little bit of, I'll just make myself slightly less. I don't want to put you off. I I think for black people, a lot of the time, that's that sense of we're just going to have to pull back a bit here because I don't know what you think about us. I sharpened my wit, my wardrobe and my eye, and I made myself the most terrifying creature in any room I entered. Danbury is who she is. She has money, as I say. She's got the ear of the queen. She's got status. She knows the way things work. Her husband's dead, so she's nobody's chattel. She's free. <laughs> she can just do her thing. Uh, and I think part of her thing is going, I don't want to do the curly things any. <clears throat> gone, 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 gone. Off we go. Yeah. Don't need to. This life is much more interesting than that, thank you. That's half an hour. I'll never get back. Now, I could be having a nice stiff drink or I could be looking around my kitchen garden or seeing how the pineapples are growing or, you know, or reading the latest whistle down or, what, you know, whatever it may be. When Lady Danbury comes on set with all of her amazing clothes, she commands attention, I think. So the costuming really worked for me in that regard. It's like she's only pleasing herself. She's not trying to communicate anything else to the world apart from her power and her presence. It's almost like Queen Elizabeth I with those big lace ruffs. And I think that's absolutely right for Lady Danbury as a character. It's a really striking, distinctive look. It's not in keeping with any of the other families that we see for Bridgerton who are much softer colours or the Fetheringtons who are just off the chart, right, in their clothing. And, you know, well, I want to be Lady Danbury, so I want Lady Danbury's wardrobe. So obviously I'm going to say <laughs> it was amazing and it made her look really powerful and strong because, um, you know, yeah, I wouldn't mind a little bit of that action in my own wardrobe. So, yeah. <laughs> in case you were wondering... The one character that was added that I was obsessed with in a way that just was unhealthy and really kind of crazy is Queen Charlotte. Yes, Shonda Rhimes has a favorite character and the costumes and wigs only cement her love for this character. First of all, I tried to convince our, our merchandising department that we needed to put out a set of Queen Charlotte wigs. I was like, I will wear one every day. I promise. Like just <laughs> Queen Charlotte to me felt like the Beyonce of the day. Like she just was fierce and fabulous and weird and strange and amazing. And I just wanted everything she was doing to be, I was like, I want to do that. There's something about her and the way she is portrayed is done so beautifully because that idea of I wish to be entertained, like she has everything. She has everything she could possibly want. And she's lonely and she's bored and her husband is going mad. She's a fascinating creature. And the, like, the way that she built that character was just... I don't know, I found her glorious. I could watch her all day. That's another sense of a woman with weight, with tons and tons of power, who's also still in prison. She's still in this golden cage. 
That was one of the real beauties of Bridgerton as well. Yes, she is Queen Charlotte. Yes, she sits on the throne. But I think there's a real, real feeling of community and ensemble. Here's Golda Rochevelle. You know, we're all together in this world. Yes, there is a hierarchy and a status because it's that is just, you know, reality. But emotionally emotionally between all these women, I think there's a real bonding of sisterhood and girl power, you know? Queen Charlotte is just diva, diva. But that's so true what you say. I think we all are actually gravitating to that character because... There's a roundedness. Yeah, she is relatable. That's the word I was looking for. Can you relate to her? Of course, the one time I really, truly shouted out at the screen. And the thing I shouted out was, 4C hair! (laughs) (laughs) My husband was like, what? I was like, 4C, 4C! Yes, yes! (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic, 4C. Head to Google for 4C. (laughs) For the explanation of 4C, yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's hilarious. I love that. So it just tickled me so. It brought me so much joy. I've just come back, actually, from, let me think, a seven-hour wig fitting and makeup for Bridgerton. And, like, different different lips and different this and lashes and da da Do you know what I mean? It was, like, literally being created there and then in the room just to try and kind of see you know, what was going to work and different colours and different shades and different kind of textures of hair Mm. that would look good and different kind of ideas of how black hair looks. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And And how you can create the kind of like an African-infused 18th century, you know. Come on. Wig for Bridgerton. I mean, it was those guys are incredible, really incredible. I mean, you know, the reality is you put a work of art on top of your head, you know, and I called them works of art because they, they were. Are. I mean, they are extraordinary pieces. Truly. And, you know, some of them would have, um, like, double wigs. So there's a wig on top of a wig. Um, Some of them would have, like, uh, numerous cages inside them where, you know, the hair is built up and, and kind of made around the cage. And the cage gives height and space and, you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. So I remember there was one time when I was wearing the big afro, and my head started to get quite hot. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, what can I put? Because you can't take the wig off. And I thought, what can I put inside? Because I could get un- just underneath the, the wig. <laughs> I was like, I need something to just cool that down. And Adam, the guy who had created the wigs, Adam James Phillips, had, I don't know whether you know, the, the combs with like the metal... Yes. The metal bit, and then you've got a little bit of a comb. And so I was like, just give me that. Can you? Can I have that comb? And he just gave it to me, and his face was like, what on earth is she doing? And I managed to get it up into the, into the, the scalp and underneath the wig, and it was... It was like I was putting ice up there. It was glorious. And I said to Adam, have you got any more of those? And I ended up with about four stuck 
around <laughs> and in. And it was it was like ge- just, it was genius. And you it just, just like created it, a ventilation system yeah, on your head. Created a ventilation system <laughs> and also cooled it down. And I was like, and there are pictures and I posted pictures on my Instagram. It was great. Genius. It was just like, this thing is happening to me. How can we work it out? And this is the solution, you know? <laughs> the weight of Queen Charlotte and her crown and everything else that comes with that character definitely played a whole lot into the way Golda represented her on screen. I mean, this character carried a lot of weight, literally. Yeah, I always had a um, chair by the side of set um, because, you know, when you're wearing something heavy on your head and then something like the costume's heavy as well. I mean, that's, I'm double corseted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a pannier, an underskirt, the skirt of the uh, dress, and then the the long train of the jacket. So that's a lot of weight to carry. Most takes, I would there would be a chair by the side of you know the scene, and I would take the weight off basically. Yeah, do you know what I mean? And chat to the crew, whatever. Just kind of hang out with everybody, and they actually made me a leaning post because right at the beginning it was putting a a little bit of a strain on my lower back. So they made this post which is basically about my uh, hip height and it's got a little padded ledge and you lean over the front of it so that it takes the weight off the spine. So you would see me just kind of lounging in a corner. (laughs) People would be going past going, you all right, Cole? So I was like, yeah. I'm just leaning. I'm just leaning. The power of clothing. I think it actually allows us to kind of literally pull threads on fashion history and costume design and unravel clues about people in history and the characters in Bridgerton. I think it's really important that Bridgerton makes us ask questions about history as well. And we ask, what did it really look like? What's the truth of a diverse community? What kind of opportunities did people really have? That there's a space for us to tell those real histories alongside all of the kind of energy and interest that Bridgerton has has created. Hannah, once again... Thank you so much for all of your expertise and your knowledge and your beautiful way of putting words together and um, walking us through this fashionable society and the world of Bridgerton. It's a fun topic, isn't it? Is there any more colourful, sparkling, you know, kind of interesting topic than costume in Bridgerton? (laughs) No, no. This was so great. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bridgerton, the official podcast. Return to hear more stories from behind the scenes. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share. Bridgerton, the official podcast is executive produced by Lauren Holman, Sandy Bailey, Holly Fry, and me, Gabrielle Collins. Our producer is Chris Van Dusen, and our editor is Chandler Mays. Thanks for listening. Bridgerton, the official podcast is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite shows.